Ephesians 5, 15 through 19 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Thank you, Rich. Good morning. It's been a little while since you've had to listen to me up here for a sermon, so um, hopefully I won't be too long-winded today. You guys sound amazing today. You've really encouraged me with your singing and your voice. Over the last five years that I've been here at Mesa, I can say with conviction that we are a blessed church when it comes to the way that we sing. And it's not in small factor to the work that we put into it. That has a lot to do with how good our singing is. Over the five years that I've been here at Mesa, we have had singing workshops almost every summer to learn new songs, to get better at the technicality. We have members who are incredibly talented at these things. And then this last year, we have spent close to five months learning new songs on Wednesday night, and we had the culmination of all that hard work with the Keith Lancaster workshop that was here a few weeks back. You are a congregation that has put an emphasis on singing, and I just want to say thank you because you have blessed me through that process. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about music today. How important is music in your daily life? Do you listen to it in the car as you drive down the road? Is it playing in the background at work? Maybe you have your earbuds in and you're listening on your phone. Pretty much every time you walk into any kind of store or restaurant, what's playing in the background? Some kind of music, right? Our lives are inundated with music and with song. Some of it is very important to us. A lot of us can remember that first song when we met that boy or that girl that was playing in the car on that first date. And some of us, that becomes our song. Some of us, it takes on special meaning because it's that song that you chose to have at your wedding as you danced with your spouse. For some of us, it's that father-daughter dance or mother-son dance. There's so many different things that music mean to us. And we could rattle off a list of our favorite artists without even thinking about it, couldn't we? We could rattle off a list of our favorite songs, and it, it wouldn't be hard for us to figure out what some of those things are. We have spent a lot of time improving our singing as a congregation in the five years that I've been here. And we have to stop and ask this question. Why? Why is it important to work on these things? And to understand that, we have to ask the question of why do you sing? When you come here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or a Sunday night or to one of our special events, why is it that you choose to raise your voice? Is it out of peer pressure because everybody else is singing? Is it an expression of your worship? Are you doing it because you feel commanded to do it? Because you feel like it's something that's in Scripture? That's a reason, in my opinion, not a great reason, but it can be a good reason. Do you do it out of habit? Because that's just what we do 
when we come to church? Is it to build others up? Is it for strengthening and focusing our mind and our hearts? And lastly, is it an expression of your heart and what's inside? These are some of the reasons that I can think of off the top of my head as to why most people choose to engage in singing on a Sunday morning. And for a lot of us, it's a mix of all of these things, if we're really honest. Day to day, it might be a different reason. The emotions that we have in our heart are important to look at because there's a whole range of emotions that we can experience, isn't there? There's happy days, there's sad days, there's days where we just feel incredibly in love with God, there's those days where we're experiencing pain and anguish as we come before God, and there's those days that we just feel completely overwhelmed and unable to even get out a squeak of song. To really understand the why that we have, I think it's important to understand the why God is asking you to sing. And there's only one place to find that, right? It's in Scripture. And that's what Rich read to us just a second ago. We're pretty much going to look at a singular passage, and then we're going to throw in a few more, but this is really the heart of what I want you guys to understand today. In Ephesians 5 and verses 15 through 17, it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I I think that's kind of funny. You know, seems like good advice, doesn't it? Another way of paraphrasing this would be, don't be stupid. You know, choose the right thing, be wise. And it continues on there. It says, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Once again, reiterating the idea of don't be dumb when it comes to knowing what it is that God wants, right? And it goes on from there and it says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's important to know God's will and to know what he desires for us when we engage in song and why we engage in song. Because we know people can do the right thing for the wrong reasons, and it's important to be able to separate those things, to figure out the why behind. And it continues on there in verses 18 through 19, and it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's a few things right off the bat. Do not get drunk. Seems like good advice, doesn't it? Very rarely do good things come out of being drunk, do they? The first thing we know to go is our judgment, and then bad decisions are sure to follow. But it doesn't just stop there. God doesn't just tell you, hey, don't do something. He gives you something else that you should be pursuing. And he says that you should be filled with the Spirit. That means that instead of trying to fill that empty place inside with something else, we should be filling it with the Spirit of God. That wine that it talked about getting drunk on, I think that wine means more than just wine, because there's a lot of different things that we try and fill that empty space in our hearts with, isn't there? 
Some of us can chase after money thinking that's going to fill that void. For some of us, it's our careers. And thinking that doing something meaningful will fill that God-shaped hole that's inside of us. For others, it's a relationship. It's that person that we think will complete us, which, don't get me going on the whole idea of another person completing you as a human being. That's a whole other rabbit trail that, that we don't need to go down today. But there's a lot of different things that we try to fill that hole with. There's a lot of different substances that we can engage in to try and numb that ache and that pain and that feeling. But there's no substitute for the Spirit of the Lord to fill that. And when you choose to fill that space with the Spirit of the Lord, what comes next is this. You start having psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody start coming out of your life. As opposed to debauchery. Opposed to negative things. Opposed to a career that consumes your life and takes you away from your family. There's more though, isn't there? Because this is the easy part. Now comes the harder part. There's two objects that these items of worship are supposed to be engaged towards. Our songs are meant to be to the Lord. That's the easy part, right? It's very easy for us to think about that on a Sunday morning. But did you notice the beginning of verse 19? These things are also meant to address one another. And not only that, these two directions of our singing is meant to come from our hearts inside. I want you to stop for a second and I want you to look around at the people that are here. Look at the person next to you. Look at that person way across on the other side from you. Now I want you to look into your heart and tell me what it is that you feel when you look at these people. It's a tough question sometimes, isn't it? Our singing to one another is meant to be an expression of what's in your heart when you look at Jack. When you gaze around and you look at Jana. When you keep looking further across the way and you see Reagan. What you feel in there is meant to be expressed. And I think sometimes we do a terrible job of expressing what's in here when it comes to looking around at our brothers and our sisters. I want to spend a little bit of time digging into the emotions that are meant to be expressed in our singing. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. We are going to explore some of those emotions that are captured in the words of our songs. We're going to try and unpack it and see if we're hitting home with those emotions when we sing them towards God, if that emotion is reflected in our heart, if that emotion is reflected in our heart when we look around. And there's a whole gamut of emotions. I just wrote up a few. There's a whole lot more. Emotions are very complicated. But I thought this was a good place to start this exercise, was thinking about these emotions.
James chapter 5 and verse 13 says this, Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is any one of you cheerful? Let him sing praises. We get that concept pretty easy, don't we? It's easy to sing when we're happy, right? I don't know about you, but there's certain songs when they start playing in my car, it brings a smile to my face. There's certain days where your excitement can't be contained and you seek out that song on the radio and there's a little bit of dancing happening in your house and you're belting it out at the top of your voice because the happiness, the joy cannot be contained, the cheerfulness. Psalms 95 is an amazing representation of the idea of singing with happiness, with cheerful in your heart, cheerfulness in your heart. The beginning of it says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Does that sound familiar? Well, guess what? You have an opportunity to try and channel some of that happiness in song right now. Come, let us sing joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and soul. Music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. And the mountain is the wonder, and the sea is His made And His hands have stored the fire. Isn't that a beautiful song? It echoes what's found in Scripture too, doesn't it? The beginning of it is, Oh, come let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him. His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. The beginning of this passage is beautiful because it's an announcement, isn't it? It's proclaiming that God has an amazing greatness about Him. And we can't help keeping it to ourselves because that would be foolish because God is so great we have to let it out. This passage continues on and then it says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In His hands are the deep places of the earth. And the heights of the hills are also His. For the sea is His. He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. This is admiration, isn't it? You know that thing that you did that your mom was so proud of and she can't help but talk about it all the time? Are we doing the same thing when it comes to looking at the creation around us? Are we so excited about what God has done and His works that we can't help but admire it? And for that to come flowing out of our hearts in the songs, in the hymns, and in the psalms that we read. It doesn't stop there. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. There's a level of acceptance and submission here, isn't there? 
It's this idea that in worship we submit more fully to God's authority, to being his child, for him being the ruler of our life. You know what's beautiful about Psalms? Most of them were written to be songs. And if you read through them, you can find just about any emotion that you can possibly think of within the Psalms. There's another emotion that I like to think of called love. It expresses that beautifully. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked up to you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. There's another song that echoes this as well. We'll talk a little bit more about this emotion of love in just a second. I love you, Lord, and I psalm are beautiful, aren't they? I thirst for you, God. Aren't those the kind of words that we want to hear our spouse saying towards us? That deep love, desire, that passion. God is looking for the same kind of connection with you. That's the same kind of love and emotion that's meant to be pouring out of our hearts in song, but that same love is also meant for one another, isn't it? I love that song. It's so beautiful. Connects on a deep level. That's one of those fireside Devo songs that you just have to close your eyes while you're singing it. There's more. Psalms 32 expresses a different emotion completely. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Do you sense the anguish in this writing? A lot of people believe that this is something that David wrote after the child that he had with Bathsheba died. When you understand that, it hits a little different, doesn't it? Do you have those songs? You know, for teenagers, I always ask you, remember when you got rejected by that girl or that guy? And, you know, you're, you're down in the fields and you're trying to do something with the hurt and the pain that you're feeling? 
And you have that song that you go to that you can just pour that emotion into and you listen to it on repeat and you get that tub of ice cream and you put it next. I don't, I don't know what your process is. <laughs> I had one of those when I was in high school and it was a song that my cousin had written. He was an amateur blues musician, musician, never really made it anywhere, but he had one song that was my go-to when I was feeling that way. There's a lot of other songs that hit us that way, aren't there? Let's sing this one and see if we can connect with some of that. Break my heart, songs every time I sing it. Just feel the conviction. I feel the weight of my sins. But there's also a beautiful element to that song too, isn't there? Part of it that's uplifting, part of it that's healing, part of it that addresses the pain and the hurt. These are the things that are meant to be stirred up in our hearts as we engage in song. I've got another one for you out of Acts. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The rest of the story is great. Unfortunately, that's not where we're focusing at the moment. What kind of a logical response is that to the circumstances and emotional state that they find themselves in? Imagine a moment where you feel helpless and your response is to praise God. 
we see somebody modeling how their emotions are meant to be poured out in song, even in those moments when it seems like the last thing that should be on our mind. The last thing that our heart should be filled with. The next song that I selected specifically is because I think this is a modern song that represents a little bit of that emotion. We're going to sing Blessed Be Your Name in just a minute. I love this song because it was written in 2001. It was written in response to seeing terrorists fly airplanes into the two towers in New York. It was written in view of something that just seemed so wrong and so broken in our world that a lot of us didn't have words to express what we felt in that moment. A lot of us didn't even know what to feel or what to think. We're going to unpack some of the words after we sing this. Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful. We sing the
That doesn't, in the moment, feel like a song of helplessness, does it? But if you look closely at the lyrics, you'll see it. When the world is all as it should be. Does that describe the world that we saw after September 11th? No. Does it describe the world that we live in now? Probably not. But those are the words that were penned because despite seeing those things, there was a knowledge that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is bigger, and that good triumphs over evil. And it transforms in the chorus, doesn't it? You give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a preacher that I heard one time that shared a very simple phrase that will stick with me forever. His wife had died two weeks before and he was supposed to come and speak to my AIM class in Texas. We thought he was going to cancel. And he showed up and he shared with us. Preached his lessons. They weren't at all what he had planned. But he showed up and he shared the raw emotion that he was experiencing in that moment. And he said, I know how good God has been because of how much it hurts. I hope those words are as comforting to you as they were to me. That happened for me back in 2001. This is 20 years later, and I still remember that man saying those things. This is the response Job had, isn't it? When he loses everything, he falls and worships God. I had another experience I'll share with you, and this one gets me every time. I spoke at a church in Guyana, South America. I'd been going there on mission trips with our church, and this year, for some reason, they decided that a 21-year-old me should be their guest speaker for their youth rally. Their youth rally had 500 kids attending this on average. I was absolutely terrified to be speaking to a group of people that large. These were people who came all over the country and even from a few other countries to this youth rally, and I felt incredibly underqualified to be that person. I still feel that way, but that's another story. To try and cope with my anxiety, I went outside the youth rally at this church building that also had a children's home connected to it. There was a little old lady who was just sweeping and taking care of things at this children's home. And she just started talking to me, even though I was sitting there trying not to be a nervous wreck and pray, and she just starts telling me her life story. She starts telling me about all of her kids, and especially about a son she had. You may notice the foreshadowing in my choice of words. That son was the one who loved her best and took care of her. The rest of her kids didn't have anything to do with her. They had moved on. And she knew that this son was going to be the one that was going to take care of her as she got old. And he died, fairly young, in his 20s. And here she is as an old woman who is destitute and has no family. And the only way that she is surviving is because the church has a place for her with this children's home. 
When her son died, do you know what her response was? She told me that she stopped everything that she was doing and she sang songs of praise. That's a Job response. That's not the normal response that we have when we feel helpless, when we're feeling pain, when we're feeling loss. But that's the kind of response that we can have because no matter what we're feeling inside, there's an emotion that can be expressed towards God. That can be expressed to each other. I have a short video I want to share with you because I really, really, really want you to understand just how deep your connection is with singing and with music. I will preface this by saying if you have a family member who's suffering with Alzheimer's, this video may be a bit difficult to watch. It's a project called Alive Inside, and it's exploring some of the things with Alzheimer's. fun-loving, singing, you know, every occasion he would come out with a song, no matter where he was. I remember as a child, he used to walk us down the street, me and my brother, and he would stop and do singing in the rain. He would have us jumping and swinging around poles. He was, you know, he was good. He was always into music, you know, he always loved singing, dancing. His name is Henry Drea. Uh-huh. And... I'm looking more or less for religious music for him. Because okay. he enjoys music and he always quotes in the Bible. So I'd rather have that for him. We first see Henry inert, maybe depressed, unresponsive, and almost unalive. Henry. Yeah. Henry. Yes, yeah, so. I found your music. Uh, you, want, you want your music now? Well, not me. Let's try your music, okay? And then you tell me if it's too loud or not. Then he is given an iPod containing, we know, his favorite music. <laughs> and immediately he, he lights up. His face assumes expression, his eyes open wide. He, uh, he starts to... Um, to sing and to rock and to move his arms, and he's being animated by the music. And he used to always sit on the unit with his head like this. He didn't really talk to much people, and then when I introduced the music to him, this is his, his reaction ever since. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to take the music for one second, okay? Just huh? to ask you a few questions. Okay? Thank you. I'm going to give it back to you. Uh-huh. Okay. The effect of this doesn't stop, because when the, uh, the, the headphones are taken off, uh, 
Henry, normally mute and virtually unable to answer the simplest yes or no questions, is quite voluble. Henry? Yeah? Um, do you like the iPod? Do you like the music you're hearing? Yes. Tell me about your music. Well, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't have one, I mean. Do you like music? Yeah, I'm crazy about music. You play beautiful music, beautiful sound. Did beautiful. You, did you play music when you were, uh, were you, did you like music when you were young? Yes, yes, I went to big dances and things. What was your favorite music when you were young? Well, well I guess, uh, well, Cab Calloway was my number one band guy I liked. The the What's your favorite favorite Cab Calloway song? Oh, I'm beyond ever Christmas. You can complain on me with plenty of snow near the toe. Present, Reverend, you three, ow! So, in some sense, Henry is restored to himself. He has uh, uh, remembered uh, who he is, and uh, he's, he's reacquired his, his identity for a while through the power of music. What, what does music do, do to you? Give me the feeling of love, no, no matter. Because right now, the world needs to come into music singing, you got beautiful music in. Beautiful, oh, lovely. And uh, I feel the band of love, dream. Lord came to me, made me holy, I'm a holy man. So he gave me this sound. Oh, they say, I meet you. Let me see, Rosalie, won't you love me? Rosalie, won't you be sweet and kind? With this beautiful new technology, you can have all the music which is significant for you in something as big as a matchbox or, or whatever. And I think this, this, this may be very, very important in uh, helping to animate, organize, uh, and uh, bring a sense of identity back to people who are, who are out of it. Otherwise, music will bring them back into it, into their own personhood, their own memories, their own autobiographies. Isn't that a beautiful video? It's a little longer than I like to show on a Sunday morning, but I don't know how to illustrate what we can learn from Henry better than giving you the whole picture of who Henry was, who Henry has become. To be able to see that music, and what's interesting with Henry in particular, read scripture does the same thing for Henry, because that was a large part of his childhood was listening to scripture being read. There's a part of our brain that even when it breaks down through Alzheimer's and other things, that connects back to the very core of our identity. God knew what He was doing when He called you to sing songs to Him. God knew what He was doing when He told you to sing those songs to one another because there is some bridge that is being built inside of you that is a deeper connection than you realize that comes through singing, through music, through melody. Henry's story isn't isolated. You can 
have a whole cry fest and dig through YouTube and find all kinds of videos like his. I want to shift gears here for one second. Yeah, I know. It's a big shift. I lived in Glasgow, Scotland for a time at a small congregation that had 50 people if everybody showed up. And I do not exaggerate when I say that there was a member of that congregation who was Yoda's long lost twin sister. <laughs> this was how she walked around. And when she would come up to you, she would be like, mm, how are you today, Joel? Mm. The mms were in there, the reverse sentence structure, the whole thing. She had like the big ears like Yoda, the frizzy hair like Yoda. It was uncanny. Now, imagine you're in a congregation of 50 people at most. And Yoda is sitting next to you. And it comes time to sing and she belts it out as loud as she can. Completely off key. I learned more about the why of singing from her than I have from any other person. Because she knew it was about what was in her heart. It's great for us to work on the technicals. It's great for us to work on the new songs. But if we miss the heart that's connected, we're missing it all, right? Amen. Some of you may be saying to yourself, I am a Yoda, and that's why I choose not to belt it out. I want to encourage you to reconsider that. Amen. I want to encourage you to let out what's in your heart, not just for God. Amen. Because all of us Yodas can sing in our cars. But there's something that the person next to you is missing if you don't choose to use your voice. I started singing to my daughter before she was born. I wanted her to know my voice. There was one song that I sang over and over again. Jesus loves me. When she was a baby, there was a song that I could sing that would take temper tantrums and bring them back to a place of calm. Not so much now. She's four years old, going on 30. <laughs> but for a time there, you could see that deep connection that singing had for her. I want to encourage you with one last verse to kind of tie all of this together. When Saul was rejected as a king over Israel, David was selected. And the moniker that we attach to David all the time is what? A man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Remember, 
God is not looking at the outside. He's not looking at what other people are looking at when they see you. God is looking at your heart. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your heart as a people of God who love our Lord and love each other. I want to leave you with one last question. What's in your heart today? What are you feeling? Do you feel happiness? Do you feel sadness? Are you in need of healing, restoration? Do you not know who Jesus is? Is your heart ready to call him Lord today? I want to encourage you in just a minute, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And I want you to bring whatever is in your heart. And there will be elders down front here who will be ready to meet whatever it is that you bring and to pray with you. Would you stand as we sing?